I don't know, I feel like from now on, I'm just gonna use this as, you know, me talking about my week because, um, you know, being brown and, and trans and a lesbian and disabled and, you know, at Harvard is hard. Um, and so, I don't know, I think it'll be interesting to, to talk about, um, but we'll see. You know, let me know what you think. So, welcome to the inaugural episode of a completely new version of Kai the Academic. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know, it's not that funny, but I find it funny. So, I'm the podcast recorder here, so I'm going to continue using it, because I like it. <laughs> I don't know, this, this week has been really interesting, I think. I think one of the things it really exposed for me is how how complicated institutions can be in terms of I don't know how it how it operates directly regarding the people it's supposed to serve, right? So um Monday I missed my 9 a.m. because Sunday night I had like a really bad PTSD episode, a lot of chronic pain, you know. So yeah, today I was really, so today's Wednesday, September 16, um, I was trying really hard to get up, you know, I set like eight different alarms, um, I didn't wake up, but I w- I've been thinking a lot about what the reply was when I told the professors I'm so sorry I didn't make it for Monday, like, my disability has been rough. Is that like, so I don't have documentation with the Accessible Education Office here. Um, that's mainly because I've never really found a therapist that I really trust. All of my therapists have been white, and so I think that's really affected the ways that I've been able to access care and accommodations. And so I'm thinking about it, and so my reply was, I'm like, when they said, well, you should talk to the AEO when you can. And so my reply was kind of, look, I really don't have, like, a therapist that I can talk to about documentation right now, um, and I'm looking for one, so I'll keep you updated, and as soon as I I get one who I feel comfortable with, like, I'll let you know. Um, and honestly, like, my professors in that class, it's one of the classes where I really, really do enjoy the professors, um, yeah, Berda and Talia Schiff, they're just, they're amazing, um, and really understanding, but I guess they said, well, go to Harvard Health Services, which is our, like, Harvard, Harvard University Health Services, which is our, you know, the health services for the college, and for grad students and stuff, and just tell them that it's an emergency and you need documentation and they'll answer really quick, and I had to respond, like, how, like, CAMS, Counseling and Mental Health Services, is a part of HUHS, and they're the people I would talk to regarding this. But a lot of my trauma comes directly from them, right? It comes from Melanie Northrup, the Director of Acuity Services. It comes from this this idea of only facing mental health as a... how do I say it? As a liability, as opposed to, like, a health problem. Um, and so... I, I couldn't reach out to them either. And so I'm just thinking about, like, I guess not just institutional, but, like, disability in general, you know? I go to a university that's kind of known to be prestigious, but that also 
that means that all of the stuff that's typically ableist about colleges is even more kind of amplified here. And so what I'm thinking about is this idea that, well, every day, about every day, I spend an hour just lying in bed near tears, like in so much pain, like eight out of 10, nine out of 10 pain every day. Um, because my chronic pain is really deeply related to my PTSD. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, what is it like to not have that? You know, what is it like to not have to fight a professor about trigger warnings, for example, right? Because like, that's in one of my classes, psychology, the intro to psychology class, my professor believes that, well, the research shows trigger warnings are ineffective and counterproductive, but trigger warning for sexual violence. In one of his lectures, he described in detail the gang rape of a woman and how no one helped. And as, as a rape survivor, and a survivor of a lot of types of violence, like, that was really triggering. And so, I guess one thing that I've been thinking about a lot is this idea, not just that, like, disabled people are just lazy, right? Which is one of the tropes you hear a lot, but also the idea that we're weak, right? And, and that's something I've been thinking a lot today and yesterday especially. Um, so I'm in this class called Who Lives, Who Dies, Who Cares. It's a medical anthropology class taught by mainly white people um, in the professor team, but a lot of people of color in the TF team, the teaching fellow team, which is what we, like, they're like TAs, basically. And I guess what I've been thinking about is because yesterday, um, you know, I brought up a valid point about whiteness as white supremacy and the ways that it can in itself be really deeply painful and and not and and very exploitative and dominative and i guess one thing i said is the white body the white body is a supreme standard by which all other people's humanity is measured and i really don't think that this is a big like I don't think that's a big jump to make to say that, right? Because let's, like, think about it, right? Like, a lot of the things that they want, like, they as in society wants in terms of beauty goes back to, I don't know, so like, for example, um, body hair, right? Like, as a brown woman, I have a lot more body hair and it's a lot more visible. I don't shave because I don't... I don't know I don't really see I don't really see a need to like it doesn't make me empowered or anything I realize I I really was just doing it to like please society and make the people around me more comfortable but like if it wasn't supposed to be there it wouldn't be there <laughs> like this is not a difficult thing to think about so so in that case like this like hairless um, idea of like the Western virgin is what what seems right, right? And this professor pushed back and he told me, this is Arthur Kleinman. Um, if you look up, look him up, like you'll see that some people refer to him as a father of medical anthropology, really famous guy, but he's also a white man who did the majority of his work researching like cultural psychiatry, like psychiatry and 
and culture about mental illness in China. And so his response to me, um, mind you, I haven't really talked much about my transits, maybe once, but his response to me was this. I, sure, but look, I think you'd be really shocked by the treatment if we went to China right now. You, as a trans woman, you know, you would probably be killed. And I sat there, like, without words for, for a bit, because what do you say when one of the most prestigious professors at one of the most, like, world-renowned universities tells you like how you're going to be killed and i remember my response you know was well i'll be killed here too right like i'm terrified every time i walk at night here because well you know i have background regarding that violence regarding transphobic violence so i know what's up right i don't need him to tell me and so i said look like i'm in danger here too and his answer was well you'd have a higher chance there. And I realized, you know, after that, after I kind of sat and and shook because it was really deeply triggering, and, you know, I, I think this ties into this idea that we're just weak, right? Like, we're just snowflakes or whatever. But after this class, I was shaking. Like, I was near tears and shaking and incredibly, like, distraught. And all I could think about was I wish they just said what they meant. And what they really meant was not, oh, here's an idea, here's a point. What Dr. Arthur Kleinman was saying to me was this, your tranny ass should be grateful no one's killed you here yet, and that the chance you're killed here is lesser than in another country, which I'm not even sure I agree with that to begin with. Um, but obviously this is unacceptable. I've had multiple... Um, classmates and teaching fellows back me up and say that was vile transphobia um, and I have class again tomorrow so that'll be interesting um, of course he's gonna give a half-assed apology because he's a white man and white men who are you know mediocre white men can get away with anything with their confidence you know and I'm gonna respond that look I don't accept your apology like how dare you um and i guess i'm just thinking about this idea it's funny because like we're we're studying this in class right we're studying the vibarian um the vibarian structure of bureaucracy um and i'm thinking about rationality and the way like this idea of objectivity when in reality objectivity doesn't exist and so to say oh you have a higher chance of being killed there as if i'm not in danger here um, is this reduction to basically an empirical way to hide behind the numbers, right? Um, but past that, I'm thinking about the idea of the cog in the machine, the, bu the bureaucracy, because Professor Kleinman is part of the Harvard bureaucracy. And as a white man, essentially what he did was silence a brown trans girl trying to say my piece, right? And he silenced me by violently telling me about the violence against my people. So I guess my question is, you know, when we have all of these white professors and white administrators, and by administrators, I don't mean like, 
like clerical and technical workers. Y'all are amazing. Like, you all should get paid more. I'm talking about professors, department heads, etc., etc. Tenured professors at Harvard are paid almost $200,000. Like, 200000 Can you imagine that? And so, you know, I guess he could probably say, well, I'm just, you know, it's co I'm a cog in the machine. I'm just, you know trying to trying to teach a material and the thing is no he's not teaching the material what he is doing is protecting his fragile little white, white male ego who's never used to being challenged because who wants to challenge the father of medical anthropology well let me tell you i will because i don't deserve to be spoken to like that um and it's really hard to to acknowledge that and accept that because I've been told by society so much that my voice doesn't matter, that my life doesn't matter, which is why it seems so little people care about the genocide of black and brown trans women. But I deserve to be spoken to as a human. I deserve to be respected enough to not be told about the way I'd be killed while I'm in a goddamn class. Like, how dare he? How dare he lecture me on my oppression when this white man, I swear to God, has not experienced anything near what I have. I've trigger warning for a lot of violence and transphobia and queerphobia and homophobia. Like, I was, like, someone attempted to murder me. Like, someone tried to drown me when I came out. The first time I wore nail polish outside of the house um, after coming out, that was when he did it. He threw me off a raft and held me under the water until I fought him off and all of his friends just laughed. In 11th grade, my house was vandalized twice because by the same people. In 12th grade, when I took my senior pictures, I took some in a suit and some in a dress and someone said, you know, you can't just change your gender like that. And I started getting credible death threats. Um, I ran away to college, didn't plan ever living in Rochester again got kicked out of here for a year because I was depressed, because I had attempted suicide, and because the Harvard administration didn't think that I was worth supporting. They thought, oh, let's send her away. And again with the bureaucracy, again with the rationality, the Western ideas of fake objectivity, it's this idea that, oh, well, you see, empirically, we don't have to put the statistics of people who died by suicide on leave in our suicide statistics. We don't. That's what that's what the like official statistics read. So Harvard, by sending away people who need help without giving them any support, can kill people. Right? Like I was begging not to go home because I had standing credible death threats by armed people. And the answer was, well, if you can't go home, go somewhere else, right? With what money? Like, with whom? Like, so instead I go back, and eventually, after days of every time my dad going on a business trip, me sitting next to the door with a baseball bat every time my mom took the dog out at night, because I didn't know who was going to come, and I didn't know what they would do to my mom. After months of that, you know, I moved away, I lived alone in Cambridge for a while. Um, eventually got kicked out by my housemates, who were supposedly radicals, um, for <laughs> being too depressed. Um, and so all of this is going on, 
and my family moved. My entire- my parents, my grandma, like everyone who was living in my house, in their house, moved. Because they didn't feel safe anymore. Because they had standing, credible death threats for me. And they knew that people knew where we lived because they had vandalized that house before, twice. Someone egged it, and then someone took a baseball bat to my mailbox so hard that we had to get a new one, like it dented beyond recognition. So for a white man, who probably makes close to 200k a year, to tell me, someone who has experienced that oppression in very visceral, violent, personal ways about my possible oppression in another country to shut me down? You know, it's not lost on me that it's a mainly white teaching team of in terms of the professors. Not only do they silence POC in their discussions, specifically by BIPOC, like, because there are literally not a, there's not a single BIPOC in the professor team, in the faculty team. In a class talking about who lives, who dies, and who cares. And so I'm hearing a white man explain to me how I should decolonize my mind, how I should think about post-structuralism, and besides not letting us hear those voices, they silence me, one of the few, probably, probably the only, or one of the only brown trans girls in the class. You know, so not only do they si does the field as a whole, anthropology silence, um, silence POC, BIPOC voices a lot, they also specifically silence, like, this teaching team and Dr. Kleinman specifically, silences me interpersonally as someone in the class. And so when I couldn't sleep last night because all I was thinking about was the possibility again of my murder, whose fault was it? Is it my fault? Because that's what they seem to imply that you're, you have the audacity to say maybe white people shouldn't be in some spaces and we should talk about it. But you know who had the fucking audacity? Professor Arthur Kleinman, who decided that in his grandiose knowledge um, to verbally attack me during class on a recorded lecture. I sure hope that the lecture ends up online because I sure as hell plan on posting that on the internet because I'm furious, but sorry, I'm typing because I want to get the, to see if the, the login or the video is up yet. But to tell me all of this, like you are the one with the audacity, Dr. Kleinman, to lecture as a white man who is one of my oppressors, to lecture me lecture me on my oppression is one of the most disgusting, vile things I've ever seen. You should be ashamed of yourself. And any professor who acts like this doesn't deserve to teach. I'm so tired of people who come to universities, become professors, and really only care about their goddamn research. How dare he tell me about this? How dare he try to teach me about my oppression? The audacity of the mediocre white man, the sheer confidence of a mediocre white man, is a direct and polar opposite to the imposter syndrome faced by women of color in the academy. Imagine one day, just for a day, just for, there's 24 hours, you flip a switch for 24 hours, all white men have to face 
this and specifically abled people and specifically cis hat people like all of these people have to face imposter syndrome in the academy now don't tell me they have imposter syndrome already because fuck you if you're a rich white like abled cis hat person your imposter syndrome is because you don't fucking deserve to be here. You're here because your daddy paid a little extra, sent you to prep school. You know, I even I went to prep school, so I recognize that class privilege. But like your daddy paid for thousands of dollars in college counseling and and test prep. Your daddy is or or mom or parent in general is paying for you to be here. You know, I swear to god, I bet half y'all people came here on like a, a botched crew scholarship. Like, I'm so tired of people pretending like they have imposter syndrome when in reality, you know who has imposter syndrome? Women of color. Because we're constantly told that our opinions don't matter. We're constantly told that our, our opinions are valued less than everyone else's. And so I ask you, what? What are you going to do in your classes, in your workspaces, um, in your organizations? And yeah, I'm looking at you, white leftist organizations, specifically the like nationwide YDSA, considering that like I got targeted harassment when when speaking up in that org. Like all of you, what are you personally going to do to fight? like systems of harm within these within these organizations even in spaces that say they're radical tell me i want to know and i want you to be able to start challenging these notions challenge your professors you know i've had several people reach out to me say they've talked to their tfs um and that they have my back and i've really appreciated that and so I think what we all need to do is examine what privileges we hold and how that affects our quote-unquote knowledge, right? So what are you going to do? When you walk into that classroom or that Zoom room tomorrow, when you call your boss tomorrow, what are you going to do to stand up for, um, for women of color in general, for queer and trans people of color? What are you going to do? to stand up for me? What are you going to do to dismantle the system that hurt me? What are you gonna do to fight so that I don't have to fight so hard to be heard? Well, I'll leave you with that thought. Um, actually, no, I, I wanna leave you with a quote. And it's one by Asada Shakur. I think I've said this before, but I, I think I wanna say it every, every podcast. Part of being a revolutionary is creating a vision that is more humane, that is more fun too, that is more loving. It's really working to create something beautiful. So I challenge you, listener, can you create something beautiful today, tomorrow, and every day? Because the revolution is love, but it's a love that fights hard. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time, whenever I get to it, on Kai, the academic.